Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know simply too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And with me, as always, is my co-host via Zoom video chat coming in on the on an AKG microphone. It's Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Joe. Wow. Just you could feel the energy pulsing. <laughs> Over the airwaves. There's a lot of energy right now. I mean, the inductees were just announced. We are in that period in between inductee announcement and induction ceremony, which is going to take several months this year because of the way they've decided to make the calendar. A never-ending string of special episodes. And you want to know something, Kristen? There are so many months that we are going to have to, uh, I don't want to say spin our wheels, but devote to these inductees and to the Rock Hall that... (sighs) We are starting our first theme month. <laughs> Wait, what? With our episode for June. We, this is going to be a theme month thematically. All the episodes in June are going to be tied together. The audience is learning it as I learn it, much <laughs> like usual. Wow. This month is going to be early in June lens. Boo. That and is that is a stretch in in June Lens. June Lens, Kristen. Early in June Lens, and we are going to be talking about the category. We're going to be talking about the new inductees in the category. And we are going to start the month off with a history of this category. And here joining us this episode as we walk through the years with this category is musician, writer, historian. Elijah Wald. Hi, Elijah. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you with us. As as you can see from the way Chris is reacting, it's a historic <laughs> <I'm still> moment. <laughs> basking in the the stretch that is early in June lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly couldn't have done it worse. And that is That's really, wow. And that's the promise you get with me. And there are going to be other months uh, coming that will have their own themes. So look out for those for now. I don't know how we're going to do four. Are there four weeks in June? So we're going to do four episodes about in June lens? Yeah. Well, first, so like I said, this this week is going to be the history of the category. And then as you know, Kristen, there are three new early influence inductees this year. And so we will I be see. devoting episodes to those artists I as see. we go through the month. Now, Elijah, I want to start with kind of where you're coming into this podcast. You know, we, we talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame every week, if you can imagine. <laughs> what is your reference level? Because for a lot of people, this institution is very peripheral. It's not something they, they pay attention to, even though it rears its head a few times a year. Do you pay attention at all to these annual ballots that come out or inductees that are announced or ceremonies that happen? No, 
I mean, I, I, I watch friends on social media going ballistic about who is and isn't chosen, and I couldn't care less. So, no. Hell okay. yeah. Fair enough. Well, why don't we uh, then talk about this early influence category? Sure. Which at one point, the definition of it was the artist that predated the rock era, but had a significant influence on the genre and the main artists in the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, that definition has changed. Uh, <laughs> officially, this year, they had to change it quite drastically, but we will, we will get to that. Uh, but let's start off. 1986, there were three early influence artists. Why don't we start with the big one? When it comes to pre-rock artists, one of the pillars, or at least most known artists, I believe you wrote a book about him, Robert Johnson. Actually, let's start by mentioning that the three are Robert Johnson, Jimmy Yancey, and Jimmy Rogers, because that's an interesting trio, because Mm -hmm. Jimmy Rogers, no question, belongs there. Robert Johnson, I understand exactly why he belongs there. Jimmy Yancey, I would love to know the politics behind why Jimmy Yancey ended up on that list. It makes no sense at all that he's one of the three people there. One of my favorite artists in history, Mm -hmm. but that he should be one of the first three means someone was lobbying really hard. Do you have have any idea who it was? I don't. I really, I mean, I could tell you that Ahmed Erdogan inducted him. He gave the speech. He, and he's the, one of the main guys in the early days of. Okay. I mean, it could just be Ahmed's passion. Who yeah. knows? In any case, well, let's start with Jimmy Rogers, if okay, you'd be willing sure. to let no, me that, do that. That sounds great. Because Jimmy Rogers, absolutely 100%, no question, belongs there. Jimmy Rogers is the, he's known as the father of country music. If you don't want me, mama, you sure don't have to stop. Lord, Lord, if you don't want me, mama, you sure don't have to stop. But if you want to think of early country music, the first superstars of country music are the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers. And of those two, the Carter family are singing all the old white rural Southern repertoire with some black songs. And Jimmy Rogers is simply doing black music for the white country audience. He is absolutely the heir of Elvis Presley and all of that. He, in fact, very early in his career, even worked in blackface. But the vast majority of his important records are 12 bar blues, but he's a white guy doing blues and becoming a superstar by doing blues. And he has a huge black audience as well. So Robert Johnson, who we'll get to in a minute, for example, Mm -hmm. On the street in Mississippi, one of his specialties was singing Jimmy Rogers songs. So, I mean, Jimmy Rogers is absolutely across the board. B.B. King, it's actually, this is a funny thing. When people interviewed B.B. King and asked him who his major influences were, he routinely would say Jimmy Rogers. And routinely, the person who was doing the interview would spell it like the Jimmy Rogers who played for Muddy Waters, assuming he must mean a black blues player. 
Yeah. But he didn't. He meant this Jimmy mm-hmm. Rogers. <laughs> I literally was just pulling up my Spotify. I'm like, who is this Jimmy Rogers person? And it pulled up a black blues guitarist. And I was like, okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, and then no. you all <laughs> kept on going. And I was like, okay, it's J-I-M-M-I-E-R-O-D-G-E-R-S. And boy, is his picture just, he's got a little pompadour. He's behind his guitar with a cigarette. that's still another Jimmy Rogers. What? If he's got a pompadour, then you're getting the one who sang Whoa. Honeycomb. Yeah, that's not him? No. Who is this? No, no this is, put in the yodeling brakeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy was a yodeler. And a lot, of, a lot of the pictures of him, he's wearing a hat. This yeah, a guy lot is, of cowboy hat. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. There, I see him with a top hat. He's got a top hat on. And this guy certainly looks like he could and would and did do blackface. <laughs> uh, he looks like he might be. It's just a very blown out picture, but he could be in it on the front of this cover. <laughs> if he's in a top hat, that's interesting. I wonder where they pulled up that he's picture. He's in a top hat and he's wearing a bow tie. As Joe said, typically cowboy hat. There are three pictures of him with a hat on. I don't know if any of this is interesting. In one, he's wearing a top hat. In another, he's wearing kind of like a conductor, like a train conductor yep. hat. That's and the in the other, brakeman. he's the wearing yeah. a boater. You've got the right Jimmy Rogers now. Wow. And Who he was, known? he's the father of country music. I mean, he leads directly into another inductee, Hank Williams. And both of these are guys who devoted their lives to singing blues. And mm-hmm. yet they were white guys. And it's an absolute direct link to all the white guys in the 50s who did that. No question, hands down. And I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis could do acres of Jimmy Rogers songs. I'm sure Elvis could. All the Southern guys could. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's an easy, he was an easy choice. Right. Robert Johnson, a little bit more complicated choice. Nobody cared about Robert Johnson when his records came out. I, that's not quite true. Nobody outside of his small neighborhood in the Mississippi Delta cared about Robert Johnson when Robert Johnson was alive. But a bunch of white guys in New York, prominently Alan Lomax and John Hammond, decided he was the most exciting artist in blues. And then because nobody had been interested in his records, they were extremely rare. So the blues record collector crowd valued him very highly where they didn't like people whose records were common because they were stamp collectors, essentially. And so with that combination, Robert Johnson was featured on this album that came out from Columbia Records in 1960 called King of the Delta Blues Singers. And Eric Clapton and Keith Richards, who loved Muddy Waters, heard this and it blew their minds because it was the roots of Muddy Waters, which is true. Muddy Waters came from the same tiny neighborhood and studied with a guy named Sunhouse, who also was the guy who taught Robert Johnson to play guitar. So if you were looking for where Muddy Waters came from, Robert Johnson is not actually where he came from. They were about the same age. Mm -hmm. Robert Johnson was younger than Howling Wolf, three years older than Muddy Waters, but he died in 1938. And he also was the first person that anyone ca- to regularly take a guitar and go dun 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 which became the building block of rock and roll guitar so he belongs in there first of all because he did do that on guitar and it did become a basic building block 
And second of all, because the white guys who defined what we mean by the roots of rock and roll, that is the first generation of white guys who went, look at where this comes from, which Elvis and Jerry Lee and those people didn't do, Mm -hmm. but which the Beatles and the Stones, particularly the Stones and Clapton did do. And both the Stones and Clapton went, Robert Johnson is the guy. So mm-hmm. he's obviously in the rock hall. Right. And he's also, what comes with Robert Johnson is this very delicious myth that, you know, that, also, that is, good point. comes yes. packed in with the story of Robert Johnson of selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads. And also the first one to die at 27, at the, you know, the 27 club. And so there's all this myth that comes with him that I think it has kept his story, you know, it's, it's a story people like to tell and, and, and theorize about. To be absolutely fair, there were people who died at age 27 before Robert Johnson. <laughs> no, He's no, no. I, I'm <laughs> telling He's you. the first no recorded one, person no to ever had. die at age 27. He's an, he's an innovator in that category. And also, he made a deal with the devil? That's one of the great white myths, yes. Right. And it's, you know... Because, you know, they had people had seen him play guitar at one point and he wasn't that great or he was nothing special. And then he went away for a little bit and then he came back and it was people were blown away and they couldn't believe what was happening. Was it that he worked hard in practice? No, no, no. He must have made a deal with Satan himself. Well, except actually black people in the Delta didn't react that way. Mm-hmm. That it's it's really white. I mean, quite honestly, that's about the Rolling Stones. Yeah, <laughs> which is not a criticism of it, but the sold his soul to the devil is about the Rolling Stones. It's about the fact that if you love Keith Richards, a man who really did obviously sell his soul to the devil, <laughs> and you're looking for where that comes from for immortality. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Among other, but this yeah. is my point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not a criticism of it, but all the things that people thought about the Rolling Stones, dangerous, mysterious, scary, deep, soulful, sexy, all of that list, Robert Johnson was the perfect place to go to find something that fitted all of that. I mean, I'm not putting him down for that. He really was. And his record sounded terrific because John Hammond at Columbia loved him so much. They had kept all the original metal parts for the records. So they didn't sound like scratchy old 78s. They sounded absolutely clean and like they were made yesterday, which really gave him an advantage over, say, Blind Lemon Jefferson, whose records you have to listen through the horrible sound quality to hear the great music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's an artist who is not in the hall. He has not been inducted as an early influence, and perhaps that is the reason why. I mean, that's where I'm going to bring race into this, which I will do now and then. Because, I mean, Lemon Jefferson or Leroy Carr would absolutely be there before Robert Johnson if we were talking about the roots of black rock and roll people. Yeah. But we're not. We're talking about the roots of the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton. Sure. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point. And so well, let's talk about this this third guy, Jimmy Yancey, who's a, a bit of a questionable choice for the very first uh, group of early influence inductees. The logic of Jimmy Yancey is that Boogie Woogie Piano is without question one of the basic building blocks of rock and roll. And Jimmy Yancey is without question one of the great early boogie woogie piano players. 
happens to be a particularly soulful slow blues player. He did play boogie woogie, but by and large, boogie woogie people don't tend to talk that much about Jimmy Yancey except when they're playing slow blues, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm saying he's an odd choice here. I mean, Pine Top Perkins did a tune called Pine Top's Boogie Woogie. And if you ask any black boogie woogie player, where does this music come from? You know, what's the first thing? They're going to say Pine Top's Boogie Woogie. You get ready to stop. And don't move a peg. And when I say get it, I want you to shake that thing. Which is a whole lot of shaking going on. I mean, literally, is a whole lot of shaking going on. It's the absolute roots of this. But would I rather listen to a Jimmy Yancey album than all of Pine Top Perkins's 78s back-to-back? Absolutely. And it's white guys like me who are making this choice. <laughs> And he was a beautiful, beautiful piano player, Jimmy Yancey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very happy to see him here, but there are a lot more rocking piano players who, if that was my standard, not what do you want to listen to, Elijah? <laughs> but I mean, if we were going to like the roots of Thelonious Monk, Jimmy Yancey's the man. Okay. Interesting. But if you're going for the roots of Jerry Lee Lewis, not so much. Interesting. Learning a lot. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, we're not even out of the first year. Yet. <laughs> yeah, we're in year one. <laughs> Shit. There were three more in 1987. We had Hank Williams, Louis Jordan, and T Bone Walker. Okay, those are all obvious. No question. Louis Jordan, no Chuck Berry without Louis Jordan. No mm-hmm. Little Richard without Louis Jordan. No James Brown without Louis Jordan. Louis Jordan invented, he didn't invent what people call jump blues, but he might as well. It was rocking. It was rocking. You never see there are two ways to think about Lewis Jordan. He was a sax player in big bands, and he was the first person to realize in a major professional way that now that you had electric amplification, there was no reason five guys couldn't be just as loud as a big band, and you could mm-hmm. make a hell of a lot more money if there were only five of you. <laughs> So mm-hmm. he got himself an electric guitar and amps for everybody and started playing rooms that previously had had big bands with just, it's a, he called his group the Timpani Five. They were never just five of them. They were always six or seven. In any case, with small bands, and they were very heavily rhythmic, and he was funny, and he was a hell of a showman, and he made movies, and he rocked. And he had a huge white audience, and he was all over the radio. And his guitar player, Carl Hogan, was the first guy to play the riff that we all know as Johnny B. Good. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought that it was Michael J. Fox. There you go. Well... (laughs) There he, went you back. Go. <laughs> he went back as, as far as he could happens, to claim it. Michael J. Fox <laughs> learned it from Carl Hogan before teaching it to Chuck Berry. 
There so it go. was it was Marvin Hogan who then called <laughs> his cousin Carl and told exactly. him about the riff. Just so uh, keeping that up. No, there's the actually a very, very funny interview with Chuck Berry from I forget, late sixties, I think, maybe early seventies, where somebody says to him, Well, I mean, you know, you invented so much stuff and Chuck Berry says, No, I didn't. I did I was you know, everything I did I got from one person or another. The guy's what well, what about that opening rough from uh, Johnny B. Good? I never heard that anywhere before you. And Chuck Perry says, You're a young man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, guy, and the guy says, So where'd you get it? He says, Carl Hogan. There we go. Lewis Jordan is obvious. T Bone Walker is obvious because he invented modern electric lead guitar. Also did the splits played behind his head. I mean, Chuck Berry plays like a cross between T-Bone Walker and Carl Hogan. People used to have more exciting names. Uh, Pine Top <laughs> Perkins, T-Bone Walker. These are names that I could get behind. They rock. They're fun. We're not having as much fun, <laughs> I think, with our naming. Our rock musicians need to do some throwing it back. Well, I would say that's something that that hip hop inherited. There you have it. Yes, I was literally I I was about to say that it is only in the people who have the most fun and exciting and interesting names are rappers now. Incidentally, T-Bone Walker, it's just a professional misspelling. He's from the borders with Louisiana. His name was T-Bow. T-H-I-B-E-A-U-X. And since he was around a lot of white guys who didn't speak, not white guys, a lot of black guys, but English speaking, who didn't speak French, they started calling him T-Bone. That's great. And he went with it. Yeah, it works. T-Bone is a cool name. T-Bone, nice name, French name, sure. T-Bone, that rocks. It's actually even worse than that. His real first name was Aaron. Aaron T-Bone Walker. Mm -hmm. That's a no for me. Give me T-Bone or give me death. And Hank Williams, again, I mean, it's like Jimmy Rogers, only a little bit later. He's a white guy, country musician who learned from a black musician, was heavily blues influenced, and talk to blues singers today, ask them who their favorite country singer is. If they're old enough to have listened to old stuff, they will name, I mean, black blues musicians will all name Hank Williams. I mean, he's, he's absolutely on that borderline of blues and country, terrific songwriter. And he did some stuff that really rocked. He did a lot of upbeat stuff like Move It On Over, the thing that George Thorogood made his name on is a Hank Williams song. And last night at half past ten, that baby of mine wouldn't let me in, so move it on over. Move it on over. Move it on over. Move it on over. Move over, little dog, cause the big dog's moving now we there's kind of an anti-country bias or not anti-country bias but i think there's this feeling that like country music has its own hall of fame and so all those folks can kind of go on over there but to me hank williams is an incredibly country specific artist and he's Mm -hmm. in one of the very first classes It, it seems like maybe there was less of that vibe back then part of it is if you're gonna define rock and roll by Elvis and Jerry Lee and those people. 
you can't not have country music in there. Yeah, the uh, country musicians that are in the hall are in this category, and I think it's because of their influence on artists that we consider to be definitively rock and roll. Yeah. You know, for Hank Williams, who influenced, like you said, Elvis and Johnny Cash, but then also Chuck Berry and the, and the Stones and all, all sorts of people who we consider to be definitively rock. Johnny Cash is in as early influence? Johnny Cash is in as a, he's the most country regular inductee. Okay. But yeah, the place for country with the hall, especially early on, was in this influence category and then since then i don't think you know country has been like one of the few things that is not included in the larger umbrella of what the rock and roll hall of fame considers to be rock and roll so now in 1988 things get really silly we get lead belly les paul and woody guthrie yeah so let's first make it easy. Les Paul, yes, obviously, in a sense, invented the electric guitar, certainly invented multi-tracking in any useful way. If electric guitar, what we call technically in the field, guitar wankers are mm-hmm. going to define a huge section of rock and roll, mm-hmm. the world of guitar wanking, absolutely Les Paul is definitive, not to mention the fact that the guitar named after him is the guitar that Clapton and all these people play Les Pauls. He's mm-hmm. easy. The, the Gibson Les Paul, one of the most iconic guitars. Yeah. Uh, although I do think Les Paul kind of exists on the border of early influence and non-performer. Be- even though he was a performer, he put I out will, records. Now, Joe, were there non-performers in this year? Were the, were people put in oh, yeah. I those mean, categories the, it, this year as well? Early on, they were using the non-performer category. In 1988, you know, Barry Gordy was inducted as a non-performer. But usually the people who have those types of innovations – behind the scenes, like for recording and that kind of thing. But Les Paul was not innovations behind the scenes. I mean, if you had asked anybody pretty much in 1952, who is the greatest electric guitarist on the planet Earth, Mm -hmm. everybody would have said Les Paul. I mean, he was the first guy to get huge hits just on the basis of how incredibly quickly his fingers moved up and down an electric guitar. fair. I, I, I think this is probably the right category. And I understand why they did not induct Mary Ford, his partner with him, because of these kind of innovations that he was. A well, part and of. nobody's playing a Mary Ford, unfortunately. You yeah, know. There's no, <laughs> and I mean, there's nothing particularly rock about Mary Ford singing. I mean, I, she's a beautiful pop singer, mm-hmm. but I mean, Dinah Shore isn't in here either. And I, I'm not saying that sneeringly. Mm-hmm. Dinosaur yeah, it's could well be in here if you thought about it all differently. The McGuire sisters could be in here. There are lots of female pop singers. Joe Stafford could be right. in here. They aren't. He's in here because he's king of the electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think worth noting that many of those recordings were credited to Les Paul and Mary Ford. All of the important ones. And so Absolutely. anyway, I'm just I'm just throwing that yeah. out there. Well, you, we've you, got you... a lot of women in already, so I don't know why we're worried. Yeah, we've already uh... discussed so many things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why would we want to overcrowd it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, the anyway. women the women thing is they're a little not a lot of them so far. Yes. Huh. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm uh, sure there's going to be a ton soon, though. I'm just positive. I know things are going to take well, a change. I know we're going to really coming up. And we'll it's we'll a turn weird the corner too. soon. We'll turn turn the corner soon. But I think great. I, I can't always wait worried. to turn the corner to one. It's going to be really amazing. I'm going to feel so grateful that one one person isn't. Well, it's actually worse than that. Oh, great! It's half a person. <laughs> no, no, we're going to have a bunch. Of, we're going to have a bunch of women who are all filling the same category rather than being in fact well we'll get to the women okay, in a minute great. sure 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 anyway i i wanted to make sure that mary ford was at the very least acknowledged in a conversation Absolutely. about les paul who's being inducted you know not at, you know. for woody guthrie and lead belly woody guthrie and lead belly are in here in this there's sort of this thing that happens where there's this guy called bob dylan hmm and Bob Dylan in 1965, 66, suddenly becomes a central figure in rock. He changes rock forever because he makes it grown up and intelligent. And the roots of his grown up and intelligentness are that he was a folk singer, which was grown up and intelligent back when rock was teenage and stupid. And his grown up intelligent folk singerness goes back to Woody Guthrie. This land is your land, and this land is my land, from the California to the New York Island. So Woody Guthrie is in here. End of mm -hmm. statement on Woody Guthrie's influence on rock and roll. Yeah, I think you're right. This is also the year that Bob Dylan was inducted. And ah. Lead Belly is in here. We have Woody Guthrie in here, and you say Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly together. That's just, it's sort of like Les Paul and Mary Ford if we're talking about a certain kind of rock history lesson. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there'll be the episode of Bob Dylan and the Beatles in your series of documentaries. In the same way, there will be the chapter on forefathers, Lead Belly and Woody Guthrie. And regardless, Dave Grohl will be narrating. <laughs> Yeah, so, this documentary exactly. that we're you can, watching. <laughs> you can guarantee that Dave Grohl has curated this selection. If Kurt Cobain were alive, he could also say Woody Guthrie, Lead Belly. Oh, yeah. yeah. The reason I know of Lead Belly is because of Kurt Cobain. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people are generation Kristen, myself included. You know, he plays Where Did You Sleep Last Night at the... Uh... MTV Unplugged. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. To be fair, Lead Belly particularly is also the god of the skiffle movement, mm. thanks to Lonnie Donegan starting the skiffle movement with Rock Island Line. And since all of the English bands we're talking about started a skiffle band singing Rock Island Line, over on the English side, Lead Belly actually does also have a non-Bob Dylan entry point into the history of rock. Good for him. But, but it's Bob Dylan and the British. Were there not Bob Dylan and the British Invasion, there is no possible way Woody Guthrie or Lead Belly would be in the rock hall. That isn't saying they don't belong there. It's just describing how they got in there. Mm -hmm. They they got in there tangentially, essentially as the intellectual choice, as the smart people choices. 
as opposed to Les Paul, you know, who stupid people also liked, and <laughs> Hank Williams, who shit kickers also liked, Lead Belly and Woody Guthrie are the college kids. All right. Well, before we get to 1989, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we will keep going on the journey of the Rockwell's <laughs> okay. early influence category. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. Honestly, we hope over your break you hydrated because yeah, it's important. I hope important. you hydrated and I hope you had a sneaky little snack just that only you know about. Yeah, your, your little secret. Okay, let's go to 1989, the fourth year of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Early influence inductees were- 1989, the bangs were big, the malls were packed, and the following artists were inducted in early influence. We're talking Bessie Smith, the Ink Spots, and the Soul Stirrers. So we've got our first woman, and then we've also got our first groups in this category. And our first gospel. Mm, yes. Yeah, we're covering a bunch of bases. So yes, with our first woman, you know the old, it, the very, very, very old joke, enough about me, now what do you think of me? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's not just we're only going to have white guys. The next step is, so we need some black guys. What black guys do the white guys like? Now we need some mm -hmm. women. What women do the white guys like? Mm -hmm. Sure. So, you know, it's it's what we mean by diversity. Diversity means it's still our club, but we'd like to have some other people in it so we look more interesting. Mm -hmm. We're doing the diversity thing here. Bessie Smith. Nobody knows you when you down in Columbia Records puts out the Robert Johnson and they have all, the only previous old 78 blues singers, 78 78 RPM, you know, meaning mm -hmm. the, the little records that went fast. Um, the only previous 78s they've reissued on LP have been a four record set of Bessie Smith, which they then proceed to do yet another, which this time is a 12 record set of Bessie Smith, because she is the queen of the blues that once you've got your Bessie Smith records, you don't need any other records of women blues singers because you've covered that category. And she has nothing to do with rock and roll. I mean, she was an inspiration of people who were inspirations of rock and roll, but she was one of many. I mean, she was absolutely the most popular Southern blues singer of the 1920s. No question about that. But it was not a particularly rocking thing. She was famous for being singing really, really slow and soulful. I'm not putting down Bessie Smith, but I'm just saying there's very little about Bessie Smith that leads toward anything we're calling rock. She is, we need an early black woman. Mm -hmm. Who's the most famous one of those? Oh, of course, Bessie Smith. Basically, that's what she's doing here. She's terrific. But that's what she's doing here. Amit Ertegun and John Hammond and all the big money men at the record companies are of the generation that loved Bessie Smith records. And yeah, that matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. I mean, the especially for because these categories are not voted upon. You know, they are subcommittees within the hall, which basically means the important players in the hall can make the choices they want. They can push through 
you know, whoever it is that they would like to, to put in. And the fact that in that Columbia owns all the Bessie Smiths and has reissued them beautifully at this period in vinyl. And by 89 is probably busy working out their reissues of all of them on CD. There's a lot of money to be made. Bessie Smith really is a category filler. I mean, these days, probably Ma Rainey, certainly this year, is mm-hmm. the one old black woman blues singer that you would get. And honestly, Ma Rainey, I think, fits this role much better than Bessie Smith. But in any case, there's nothing wrong with Bessie Smith being in here. But it's just like she's not here because rock and rollers loved Bessie Smith. Now, let's talk about uh, the ink spots and the soul stirrers. Absolutely. When you think about the soul stirrers, one of the first things is you think oh, it was the introduction of Sam Cooke. That's why they're here. Yeah, and Sam Cooke had been inducted in the first year. This could have been a double induction for him, but at the time they just decided, you know, we're putting in the rest of the... It's not that the soul stories are a bad choice. They defined a new kind of gospel quartet. First of all, a gospel quartet has five people. Let's just clarify that. It's like a baker's dozen. And they were one of the first gospel quartets that had five people. Mm -hmm. I mean, before them, gospel quartets, in fact, had four people. What a concept. And R.H. Harris, who was the original lead singer long before Sam Cooke was out of knee pants, was one of the defining modern gospel singers. They'd be a perfectly good choice without Sam Cooke. Mm -hmm. But the reason they're the choice is, of course, Sam Cooke. The Dixie Hummingbirds would have been a good choice without Sam Cooke. And I was fascinated to see that they are listed. I I actually went and looked to see how they're described in the Rock Hall website. Mm -hmm. And they're also described as having brought a new kind of rhythmic singing. And that's bullshit. (laughs) The rhythmics, the rhythm thing came from the Golden Gate Quartet, who really should be in here because the Golden Gate Quartet defined rhythm singing. You could play Golden Gate Quartet stuff right now and people say, but that's rap. And the Golden Gate Quartet, incidentally, in their 90s, in the 80s, were saying, there's nothing new about rap. We were doing that back in the 1920s. And they were. Oh, wow. Um, I am intrigued. And they were very hip. Yeah, if you want to grab a Golden Gate Quartet thing that'll kind of blow your mind. Check out Stalin Wasn't Stalin. So he packed two suitcases full of grief and misery and he caught the midnight special going down in Germany. Then he mixed his lies and hatred with fire and brimstone. Then the devil sat upon it. That's how Adolf... Well, I'm like the Solsters is a hard name to say. And this is someone whose name is Kristen Studdard. Like, I recognize that the double... I feel like the soul... The Studdard Solsters? Yeah. The Solsters is a difficult... Solsters. Solsters. Yeah. The Solsters. It defies Um, uh, enunciation. Yeah. And I grant you Dixie Hummingbirds is an easier one to say. Golden Gate Quartet, even, you know? I'm just, for me, I'm out here for the people trying to pronounce stuff. Yep. Sensational Nightingales. Ooh. 
Ink Spots, not too bad. That's a cute name. It actually, unfortunately, sounds like the name of a children's group now. Like if there was a band called the Ink Spots now, they would for sure be touring with the Wiggles. Like, Yeah, <laughs> but that's because we're living in a different age and aren't trying to think of cute names for Black people. And oh, if we well, were, my God, wow, ew, <laughs> I hate it. Yikes. <laughs> oh, different no. context. Well, there you have it. Hey, yep. you know what? Times truly have changed just <laughs> sure a little have. bit, just a teensy weensy. Yep. So, uh, but the ink spots definitely belong. If I didn't care, would it be the same? Would my every prayer begin and end with just your name? The Ink Spots, if doo-wop is a form of rock and roll, and let's all agree doo-wop is a form of rock and roll, Sure. Um, mm -hmm. all the doo-wop groups, all the early doo-wop groups are simply Ink Spots imitators who have taken it in various directions. But I mean, the Ink Spots defined the sound we call doo-wop. You could name earlier people who were influences on the Ink Spots, but if you're going to ask people who were 13 years old in 1955, what's the oldest group you can remember saying just like you? They'd all say the Ink Spots. Mm -hmm. And the Ink Spots were still around. I mean, the Mills Brothers come before the Ink Spots. Also, the Ink Spots started that thing that Elvis and everybody else did, where you're singing your song and then the bass singer comes in and talks when you find your sweetheart in the arms of a friend. I'm pretty sure Boys to Men created that. Again. I can't believe that anyone did that before them. It, that's a Boys to Men original, and I think we all know it. <laughs> Sorry. I hate to actually disagree with the historian here, but... If Boys to Men were Michael Fox, the ink spots would be Chuck Berry. There you go. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's your cousin, Marvin Spots. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go to uh, let's go to 1990, where we've got three more early influence. 1990 deputies. computers are even... big, and the hair was bigger. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that defines 1990, but you know, you gave it a he, shot. No, the hair was getting small. The hair. I mean, the, 1990 the hair was getting is... smaller, and the tops were getting cropped.er It was the 1990. Tops were probably getting cropped.er I'll give you that. <laughs> the the three inductees we've got 1990 is uh, Charlie Christian, Ma Rainey, and Louis Armstrong. Again, guitar wankers. I mean, the electric guitar, once you've done T-Bone Walker, if any jazz people are going to come in here, yeah, Charlie Christian, sure, why not? think about you know what we think of as as rock and roll and guitar playing you know people do credit charlie christian with helping to define the lead guitar role and you know single string you know yeah, well, I mean, he's solo the, he's he is the first i mean there are people in the western swing world and there's t-bone walker and there's charlie christian i mean they're not a lot of lead guitarists going back mm -hmm. to that period. And Charlie Christian's absolutely one of the defining ones. And he is also the def one of the defining figures in integrating 
popular music, which is very much why he's on this list, mm -hmm. because the Benny Goodman Quartet, which when he appears becomes the Benny Goodman Quintet, is the great integrated group in jazz. And the people doing the rock hall believe very, very strongly in integration. And I mean, I'm talking about the Ahmed Ertegans. I'm talking about the money guys. Mm -hmm. And they are not cynical about this. The John Hammond generation, integration was absolutely central to his mission in life. Um, he mm -hmm. did the music to integrate the rooms more than he cared about the music itself. I mean, Hammond really, really, really saw the music as a way of increasing integration and in racial integration in American society. So that's also a big piece of what Charlie Christian is doing in this list. Mm -hmm. Ma Rainey, great blues singer and very much more country-ish than Bessie Smith. Um, she's singing with guitar players. She's singing with more rural sounds. She's singing about stuff like moonshine and cotton and bull weevils and dirty stuff. She also has the first major lesbian blues record that is unquestionably, you can't argue with it, lesbian. Last night with a crowd of my friends she checks a lot of boxes and she's a terrific singer rock and roll well no but if we're gonna be doing this particular game good choice louis armstrong absurd oh jeebus creepers where'd you get those creepers jeebus creepers this is one that I, he just, I don't know that I, I, I see it. All the other ones I can maybe. Well, I mean, he, have, he's a right? jazz placeholder. Mm -hmm. He is the great jazz figure. And he also is somebody everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1991, we end our streak of having three early influence inductees every year, and we only have one, and it is Howlin' Wolf. Interesting that he's there before Muddy Waters. Has well, Muddy Waters been inducted as a regular rock well, person? Yeah, here, here is where it gets a little tricky, because Muddy Waters was inducted as a in the performer category in 1987. And yeah. you, this, is a, this feels like maybe a stretch... Like Howlin' Wolf maybe could have and should have been inducted in the regular performer category. I think what we're dealing with here, and we'll get it, in fact, in the next two inductees, is we're dealing with people who there's a large lobbying crowd who thinks they should simply be in the Rock Hall as performers. And there's a large lobbying crowd who feels it's really, you know, that they are not really rock the way, oh, you can name a billion white boys with guitars, skinny mm -hmm. white boys with guitars, let's be specific. Yes, <laughs> why not? Thank who you. people are still lobbying for and who won't make it in if Howling Wolf makes it in this year. So the compromise is we'll put Howling Wolf in as an early influence. Howling Wolf fits that as well as Muddy Waters, but Muddy Waters doesn't fit the performer category as well as Howling Wolf because Howling Wolf was still getting significant hits into the 60s, which yeah. Muddy Waters was not. That's, um, what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. So I mean, Howling Wolf's killing floor. I should have quit you a long time ago. 
I had a beautiful moment when I was asked to be on the current, whatever you call the rock thing in Boston. This would have been about 2008 or nine. And they wanted me on because I'd written a new book and they wanted to chat for five minutes and also to play their game, my record against someone else's record and which do the fans prefer. I said, does it have to be in your category? Because I don't listen to the kind of music you guys play. And they said, no, it can be anything. I said, fine, Aretha Franklin, respect. Let's see what your playlist has that'll go up against that. So, you know, they had, I forget. <laughs> What current lame white boy band that was, you know, top of their playlist, you know, Dropkick mm -hmm. Murphys, let's say. Oh, geez. Okay. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> you Boston, really are in, in Boston. Boston you yeah. truly exactly. are in Boston. So they like put it, the person against me has a Dropkick Murphy record. <laughs> I have Aretha Franklin's respect. Good luck. And the votes came in. It's like, I'm sorry. I love this station. I love the Dropkick Murphys. But really, come on. All the votes went for Aretha because, I mean, even yeah. stupid people can hear that difference. I'm sorry. So the next week, I had to come back because I had won. Mm. Defending and champion. And I didn't want to keep coming back. Uh <laughs> So I thought, okay, let's give them Howlin' Wolf, Killin' Floor. It'll blow their minds, but the Dropkick Murphy record will win. <laughs> I was wrong. Oh boy, you they underestimated the, the power. They had never of the wolf. heard. They had never heard Howlin' Wolf doing Killing Floor, but when they heard it, it was like, oh five, my God! And there's no Muddy Waters record that could have beaten the Dropkick Murphys. I mean, that, what no, I'm serious. Wow. I know I what you just, mean, but it's just out of context. It's a I very just love sentence. that that's the button on that, too. It's like, <laughs> it's a perfect example. But Howling Wolf, Killing Floor specifically, not the earlier Howling Wolf, but Killing Floor, it's just such a heavy rhythm. So, you know, I had to come back yet again. And this time you were like, I've got Weezer, <laughs> late career Weezer. I'm going to play. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I wasn't going to to give in easily. No, I actually had an Algerian Rai version of Rock the Kasbah. Okay. Which it's like, it blows their minds, but they do prefer Dropkick Murphy to it. Finally. So I got yeah. to go home. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what a journey. So anyway, yes, Howling Wolf. Again, if the Rolling Stones are what you mean by rock and roll, Howling Wolf is the roots of it. End of mm -hmm. story. Belongs mm -hmm. here. Only question is whether he should be here straight up as a performer rather than an early influence. And because of the politics, it's easier to get him in as an early influence. I suppose so. I mean, I, and as we go to 1992... It's we 1992. Have... Okay. People are doing the running man. New Jack Swing <laughs> is about to emerge. We do have some, again, some artists who are not exactly the pre-rock era and specifically Professor Longhair and Elmore James and Elmore James actually was on the ballot at one point to be inducted as a regular performer and they put him in as a early influence. Yeah, I mean Elmore James is terrific singer, terrific guitar player. He's there because he's the electrified version of Robert Johnson. Go back to 1986 and we will remember how Robert Johnson got in here. And that's really the totality of that one. If we were not Robert Johnson nuts, Elmore James would not be in the Rock Hall. But we mm -hmm. are and he is. End of story. As opposed to Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf, 
who really, really, really were at the top of that world. Elmore James was terrifically talented, but a lot fewer records. But one of them was Dust My Broom, which is Robert Johnson. And there we are. Professor Longhair. I mean, they're letting Muppets into the rock hall. (laughs) (laughs) If you love Professor Longhair for the name, let me just say he was a black New Orleans piano player who toured with his band as Professor Longhair and his shuffling Hungarians. I'm into it. This is a, I love a bait and switch. Friggin' go off, Professor Longhair. Yes. He was a nutcase, incredible piano player, utterly wild, crazy singer, and Alan Toussaint, who defined the New Orleans funk sound, dubbed him the Bach of rock. If you go to New Orleans, Professor Longhair is wild and wonderful, and I'm very pleased to have him there. It's another white boy choice, but it's a great goddamn white boy choice. Some are going to be okay. (laughs) Some are going to be good. Dinah Washington. 1993, Dinah Washington. Absolutely, hands down, no question whether she belongs there. She invented the style that Ruth Brown and Laverne Baker and all that generation of black women who were the stars of R&B in the 1950s were all straight up Dinah Washington imitators. Yes, I'm an evil girl. Don't you bother with me. I mean, when Queen Latifah did her blues album, she simply did Dinah Washington covers. Mm-hmm. When... Uh, Oh, come on. What's her name? The the young woman who, who wasn't, Brit, who was like Britney Spears, but she could really fucking sing. Christina, Christina Aguilera. Aguilera. Thank you. Christina Aguilera grew up with her grandmother making her at age five or six sing Dinah Washington for the assembled adults. No, Dinah Washington, 100%. I love the fact that Mike Lou for it worked. Christina Aguilera oh, yeah. worked in one shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who else could that be? Yeah, Britney Spears, but she can sing. (laughs) All right. When we go to 1994, we've got one early influence inductee, and that is Willie Dixon. Willie Dixon is a weird choice because Willie Dixon is the first person we've had who's simply a songwriter. And I don't think songwriters are supposed to be in this category, are they? Usually you put them in as a non-performer. Yeah, Willie Dixon should be in as a non-performer. Because his impact was in songwriting. All of his impact. And producing. Mm -hmm. songwriting, production, and playing bass. Willie Dixon never made a record anybody gave a damn about. They were perfectly okay. There's nothing harmful about them. But he funded this keeping music alive thing that's paying the old masters. And a lot of the money has come from suing Led Zeppelin for a whole lot of love. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he should be in behind the scenes. He should not be an early influence. But his songs were fundamental, at least to Led Zeppelin. So what the hell? Yeah, and Led Ze- they probably knew Led Zeppelin was around the corner. They became eligible the next year. So they were probably like, well... Can't, can't induct Led Zeppelin before you induct Willie Dixon. That might be the logic there. That would be racist. <laughs> uh, 1995, we've got the Orioles. If it's so, it's just so, it's so. They're the direct influence on doo-wop. They're the people who have heard the ink spots and do a more teenage, more electric backing. 
kind of version of the ink spots. I mean, the Orioles are directly who all the so-called bird groups are imitating. Including the birds. <laughs> They're not. They're not. I'm having fun. I'm just out here having fun. Let her have her fun. Come on. Wings also imitating the Oriole. <laughs> so, yeah, the Orioles definitely. Now cool. we're getting silly again. Yeah, well, we go to 1996 and we get... The man who inducted Lead Belly in 1988, Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger inducted Lead Belly? Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> That's, this is getting funnier and funnier. Yeah, right. Yeah, Pete Seeger, the man who never liked rock, is now inducting people and has even become a member and inductee himself well look didn't somebody just mention the birds <laughs> the birds started out as nice clean cut folk singers singing imitating the weavers and playing banjo like pete seeger actually roger mcguinn played 12 string guitar like pete seeger that's where he mm -hmm. learned to play it imitating pete seeger you know there's a generation of people who are considered rock though the stuff they do isn't they're maudlin Weaver's type college kids, singer songwriter boys, mm -hmm. and yeah, Pete Seeger's their their father figure. Okay, yeah, I love Pete Seeger. <laughs> you know, and that this was before Bruce Springsteen decided Pete Seeger was his father figure, but that was going to happen soon enough too. It's all good. Yeah, so you know, you we get plenty of artists where the the ties, you know, it's if if they influenced anyone who was rock and roll. And they were big enough. And Pete is still around to That's enjoy true. getting the award. You can bring him up there. The, yeah, it's all fine. He did the Rock Hall of Solid by inducting Lead Belly. Let's let's. It, uh, it's harmless. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I mean, I again. You know, this is how I got I got into the music through Pete Seeger when I was seven years old. I'm not going to complain mm -hmm. about him getting him being in whatever Hall of Fame they want to put him in. Fine. There you what go. The hell. So 1997, we've got Bill Monroe and Mahalia Jackson. Yeah, Mahalia Jackson is clearly we need to give some credit to gospel. We mm -hmm. need more women in here. The only woman gospel singer we've ever heard of is Mahalia Jackson. And that's fine. I mean, she's a great woman gospel singer. There are a lot of more rocking women gospel singers. There are a lot of women gospel singers that the women who start in gospel and cross over into rock and roll are imitating more than Mahalia Jackson. Let's mention Marion Williams, who is who Little Richard is imitating when he does his ooh. That's mm -hmm. a Marion Williams thing. We could mention Dorothy Love Coates and the Gospel Harmonettes. How's that for a name? I like that. Um, but we named Mahalia Jackson because she's the one everybody's heard of. And it mm -hmm. may be that Columbia Records is still trying to sell some records and is donating to the Rock Hall. Yeah, I mean, that could be it. I also think that you know, there's a strong connection between Mahalia and Aretha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not and particularly, no. Didn't, didn't they like I mean, Aretha, Aretha, yes, admires Mahalia, but who Aretha really admired and who she sings like is Clara Ward. Okay. She sings exactly like Clara Ward on her early stuff. When she sings gospel, she simply sings Clara Ward. She admired Mahalia. She sang at Mahalia's funeral. I'm not saying right. there's no connection, but if you were going to go, what's the roots of Aretha? Clara Ward. 
who also followed Elvis into Vegas. I mean, Clara Ward was definitely more rock and roll than Mahalia was. But we're asking, what names have the white boys ever heard of? Mm-hmm. Mahalia Jackson. And then we've also got Bill Monroe in 1997, father of bluegrass. Yeah, and, and I mean, Elvis's first record that anybody cares about, one side is an Arthur Crudup cover, the other side is a cover of Bill Monroe's Blue Moon of Kentucky. I mean, the Elvis generation, Bill Monroe was the guy who put, as I forget who first said, country music into overdrive and was definitely an influence on on all those young country guys. Nothing. I mean, Bill Monroe's fine in there. He hated rock and roll, but he's fine in there. (laughs) We've got a lot of those in the hall, as it turns out. 1998, we've got Jelly Roll Morton. Even crazier choice than Louis Armstrong. This is another jazz. You know, Ahmet and especially his brother, Nasuhi Erdogan, they, I mean, they were big jazz guys. And I feel like they... they, Oh, I'm not saying jazz shouldn't be in here. I mean, if you were going to ask me who should be on this list and isn't, Mm -hmm. um, the most obvious person who should be on this list and isn't is Count Basie. Mm -hmm. The entire rock and roll sound was based on Count Mm -hmm. Basie. Not only that, but he was the house band for Alan Freed's rock and roll house party when Alan Freed started the first network rock and roll show. Count Basie, it's insane that he isn't on this. Every goddamn rock and roll band of the 1950s plus the James Brown band were just imitating Count Basie. Why Jelly Roll Morton is here and not Count Basie? Sounds more delicious, I think. I mean, I'm (laughs) writing a book right now on Jelly Roll Morton. He's absolutely central to me. It probably will sell me a few books that he's in the Rock Hall. I guess I'm glad he's there, but it's a crazy choice. (laughs) It may benefit you personally, but you stand by your convictions. Well, it may, you know, lead to them bringing me to Cleveland and paying me some money to do a Jelly Roll Morton thing at the Rock Hall. Who knows? It would be a beautiful world. In any case, (laughs) great musician, crazy choice for the Rock Hall. Another one inducted by Ahmet. So I mean, there are a lot of jazz people who directly influenced a lot of rock people. Jelly Roll Mm -hmm. Morton is not one of them. You heard it here first, folks. Or if you (laughs) have done your research, you've heard it there. I mean, (laughs) Illinois Jacquette belongs in this particular hall before Jelly Roll Morton. Anyway. Kristen made a good point. Jelly Roll is what I would order on the menu. Uh, (laughs) Would I rather have a Jelly Roll or a Count? (laughs) Yeah, Jelly Roll. No contest. (laughs) If you knew that Jelly Roll was simply a euphemism for the sexual part that he is marketing, would you still say the sentence you just said? Why? Listen, I I don't know how to say this, but it's like rock (laughs) used to be so much more subversive. (laughs) Gosh, it's like now you can just say whatever you're actually meaning. Let us also say... Jelly Roll Morton did, in fact, record in the 1930s stuff that is absolutely as raunchy as any gangster rap you have ever heard in your life. And yes, I really mean that sentence. It's really true. Interesting. All right, then put him in. I'm glad he's in. He can be fine. <laughs> Jelly Roll's in. So is Cinnamon okay. Roll. It's 2000. We've no, moved it's not. To two, we, no, we're not the there 2000s. yet. No, no, it's not. It's, it's not. almost 2000. Jesus it's, Christ. It's 1999. Prince is topping the charts again. We've got two artists inducted in the early influence category in 1999. Right. Bob Wills. And his Texas Playboys and Charles Brown. 
Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Yes, yeah, sure. There'll be smoke on the mountains where the heathen gods stay. And the sun that is shining will go down on that day. They are the first group to prominently feature electric guitar. They're one of the first white groups to prominently do blues. They're doing country songs with Count Basie arrangements, which is essentially the invention of rockabilly. If you think of rockabilly as just smaller groups covering Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, you're about right. Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, easy choice. Absolutely. Thumbs up. Charles Brown is there for Bonnie Raitt. End of story. And she inducted him. Yeah, and that's why he's there. There's, I mean, he beautiful singer. Someday, someday, my darling, I won't be trouble no more. But he's there because Bonnie Raitt has star power and you want star power on your stage. And Charles Brown is one of the artists she most loves. And, you know, beautiful singer. And from that generation right before rock, no reason not to have Charles Brown, but he's there for Bonnie Raitt. Okay. All right, everybody, get your instant messengers. uh, (laughs) Take your instant messengers off away message because it's the year 2000. It is the year 2000. (laughs) I'm crushing it. And we have two more early influence inductees in the year 2000. And it it is another... Big names in jazz year because we've got Billie Holiday and Nat King Cole. Well, Nat King Cole isn't exactly big name in jazz. Nat King Cole is big name in pop. Uh, I mean, when Nat King Cole was a jazz player, he had a little trio that got some hits on the radio, Straighten Up and Fly Right and Stop the Red Lights On and some stuff you've never heard of. But Nature Boy and Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. Men have named you. You're so like the lady with a mystic smile. He's huge when Sinatra is huge. Mm-hmm. He's the black equivalent of Sinatra and Tony Bennett. Are Sinatra and Tony Bennett in the Rock Hall? They are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's an odd choice. I mean, he was a terrific jazz piano player. Those really early records are kind of rocking in a way. They did have electric lead guitar, which God knows Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra did not. But by the time he's known, I mean, he is who Ray Charles worshipped. Yeah, he's an odd choice for the Rock Hall if you're not going to put Frank Sinatra in the Rock Hall. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think we need black people. Yeah. Billy Holiday. Southern trees bear a strange Blood on the and blood at the root. Dinah Washington comes straight out of Billie Holiday. But again, we need some black women. What black women do the white boys like? I mean, that's not an insult to Billie Holiday. She's majestic. She's one of my favorite singers in the history of the universe. But she's in the rock hall. Because if you go through the white boys record collections looking for early black women, she's the one they have a whole bunch of records of mm-hmm. well all right i okay so this is we've hit the turn of the century mm-hmm. um and 
all of the inductees are from well before. Is there any, so except for what, Howlin' Wolf is the most kind of contemporary Howlin of Wolf, all of the early Elmore influence James, people. There's, there's some artists who definitely like to start their earliest recordings were in the early 50s, as opposed to some of these who are from. But Howlin' Wolf was older than Robert Johnson. Mm -hmm. If where you're coming from is how are we getting to Wanda Jackson in 2009? Is that where you're headed? Oh no, Kristen? i i don't have a I don't have a thing open in front of me. I have no idea who's coming next. I just am wondering because I do know where we go in the now who's considered an early influence, and I guess I'm wondering if if there's at any point when we get kind of any criteria for what makes an early influence like if they ever say anything like that and also why and when people have to be put in because so it's like 2000 so the hall has existed for 14 years at this point they don't use the category every year and then when they do they come around and they're like let's get nat king cole in the rock hall like i guess i'm just like i don't know is there anything that we can pull from that we can reverse engineer what the hell is going on with this little category? bit you asked this question at exactly the right moment wow things are about to get messy but so far up through 2000, they all are pre-rock and roll. I mm -hmm. mean, all of these people genuinely were making records by 1950. Rock and roll hasn't yet happened. All of them were people who later rock and rollers, if you said, well, you know, if you were thinking back before rock and roll, who do you really love? They're the ones you name. I mean, if you asked Chuck Berry, who is your favorite artist of all time? And many people did over and over. And he always said Nat King Cole. As I say, there's some of them who are a little weirder than others, but they all certainly, if they're going to be in the rock hall, this is the category they belong in, except Willie Dixon, who should be behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Okay. However. So yeah, at this point, <laughs> there has been uh, at least one early influence inductee per year, sometimes you know, as many as three. After 2000, the category seems to go away, and we don't see anyone inducted into this category until 2009. Wow, I really did do a good job on you accident. Sensed it. I you crushed. sensed it. <laughs> no, it's better than that. Just wait. And it is someone who had been on the ballot twice to be inducted as a performer in 05 and then again in 09 and when she didn't get in 09 they put her in the early influence category and that is Wanda Jackson Some people like to rock some people like to roll but moving in a groove is gonna satisfy my soul let's have a party let's have a party Now Wanda Jackson is definitively not pre-rock like the, there's no argument they tried to put her in the normal category because that's where she belongs and then they decided okay I suppose no one's going to call us on our bullshit if we're putting in Wanda Jackson as an early influence. And they're wrong, because here we are today to call them on their bullshit. There's no earthly way that Wanda Jackson is pre-rock and roll. That's absurd. Well, and that's what it means now, though, that the category is not for pre-rock and roll anymore. Except yeah. I think that, well, because they never said it. Well, they used <laughs> to say it. And they covered their ass by not saying it. But, I mean, she, but I mean, she really, truly, there's, it isn't even like she was an influence on later rock and rollers who are important. But I, I mean, she, she was simply one of the first 
great white women rock and rollers. That's her only role in here. Yeah. The issue is to me that they defined this category in a certain way, and they could have defined it so that if they wanted to adapt to as the years rolled forward, they could have done that. They could have defined terms. They could have said, okay, 50 years or however many years you could define it. And then as the years go on, you end things could change that way. And then if you find someone like Wanda Jackson, who might be a harder sell to people filling out a ballot in 2009, you could say, okay, well, we have shifted as the years gone on as to what we believe is this influence category, which is make the most sense for what happened here. Except Wanda Jackson won't fit there still. That's the problem. There's nobody. I mean, it's not like there are any major later rock artists who, if you said to them, who were your greatest influences? are going to say Wanda Jackson. I mean, she was simply an early rocker. She's here because they're feeling guilty. The next person who comes in is Freddie King. Mm -hmm. And that's in 2012. You know, Freddie King is an artist of the 1960s. Mm -hmm. But he's here because he was an influence on Eric Clapton. I mean, the reason he's in the Rock Hall is genuinely because he was an influence on rockers. It makes perfect sense to me he's in this category, though he was making his records in the 60s. And just about every early influence inductee we have here on out is someone who was on the ballot and didn't get in and must have done poorly enough on the ballot that the powers that be said, okay, we would like this person to get in there. It's clearly not happening on the ballot. We're going to kind of expand this early influence category and throw them in there. I think the early influence category should could and should, and is, and we're about to see that of course, like I think it can be expanded to do things that the hall can't do through the regular stupid ballot. Yeah, also, Wanda Jackson in 2009 is still alive, but mm -hmm. she's getting real old and they want to induct her while she can still walk on stage. Mm -hmm. Which I, you know, I support. We could get into the minutia of where she belongs and, and how to do it. But kind of at the end of the day, it's like they put her in. In 2015, we had another group that had been on the ballot a few times. They'd been on the ballot in 02 and then in 04, and then were inducted as early influences, the five royales. Five Royales are early enough that they really are more an influence on people you've heard of than someone you've heard of. You've never mm -hmm. heard of the Five Royales. I mean, the Five Royales were the grittiest of the early doo-wop groups, and they were so gritty that it really hurt them, and they didn't get a lot of hits. And, I mean, um, you don't want to know what royale really means. <laughs> actually, what you probably don't want to know is why there has to be quotation marks around the five. What? It, 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 it is a strange, quotation marks a strange the choice. It's the five royales, as though there aren't five of them. As oh, far okay. as I know, there are five of them. There were, in fact, five of them, but they always but had the quotation marks. it's because talking about their five fingers. Come on, everybody, I, get hip. I, who knows? 
But yeah, you know, they were the group that James Brown, for example, worshipped. They were the real hardcore, 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 but early enough that it's fine for them to be in this yeah, category. I think so. I think so as well. And I, I was glad to see them. Uh, and then in 2018, someone who was on the ballot, but I think someone who belongs in the early influence category and someone who should have been inducted a long time ago, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Fighting one another. I think they're doing well. And all they want is your money. And you can go to, and that's all. I'll just tell you that's all. Sister Rosetta Tharp's a good example of someone who belongs here more than Mahalia Jackson, not because she's a bigger star in gospel, but because she was rock and roll from she the was very tip of her toes to the top of her roll. head. Damn yeah, it. Absolutely. Sister Rosetta Tharp, no question. And we didn't see this category until it made a roaring comeback this year in 2021. And they, they blew the whole thing to smithereens. I mean, Charlie Patton makes sense. That is an artist that I would, I would say, sure. He makes white boy sense. Sure. <laughs> However sense you want to say it makes. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. Just just quickly, there are a lot of blues artists who were more influential than Charlie Patton on everything black about rock and roll. But if you are the kind of white boy rock and roller who is also a record collector, Charlie Patton has become the father of Robert Johnson. Right. And so he's in here and, and fine. He was a great musician, but Leroy Carr should have been in here long before. Anyway, that was my small pitch for Leroy Carr, who no one yeah. has heard of. Make a note of it, uh, Hall influencers who are listening. And then we've got Gil Scott Heron and Kraftwerk, which this really reimagines the way that this category works. I think we're looking at Gil Scott Heron as someone who was very influential for, I for rap. rap. Yeah, the, the roots of, of hip hop. And then Kraftwerk, hip-hop, and then electronic music. You know, we've seen recently Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails get inducted. And I think The Hall was saying after having nominated Kraftwerk six times, they've been mm -hmm. on six ballots, finally saying it's going to look silly if we keep going forward with all these groups that were clearly... Surely that's not by. the only thing that looks silly in the voting process of the rock. <laughs> oh, I assure you, but we no, don't I have, think they we don't fixed have enough it. time. They just fixed it. They put in craft work and now, ta-da, it all makes sense. And, okay? and Kristen, as you know, we are only at the beginning of early inf June Lintz, and we will be talking about Gil Scott Heron and Charlie Patton and craft work. We'll really be getting into it. Uh, Elijah, we have... It's been mentioned. You've threw out some names out there. Yeah, I, do... I was going to say, I'm very curious to hear, you know, we went so many years without even putting anybody in. And I would love to hear who, if any hall voters or influential people are listening, who they should be just shoving on in next year. Let's go. Count Basie is the really, really obvious one. I mean, Count Basie laid the foundation of rhythm and blues. It's called rhythm and blues because it's the rhythm of Count Basie and the blues of Count Basie. I mean, him not being there is crazy. You know, it depends what we're going to call rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, if, sure. if, I mean, it's a pretty if wide rock net. Rock and roll is. I mean, Whitney Lee... Houston is in now. You know, like anything is possible. But I'm thinking of like early. I mean, you know, Al Jolson who was absolutely Jerry Lee Lewis's hero and Aretha Franklin was covering him and he was, you know, a white guy in blackface. What could be more rock and roll? 
and he was a huge popular Are you really lobbying for Al Jolson? <laughs> I gave you the microphone to really just <laughs> No, like, I'm not particularly lobbying. And you're like I'm, famous I'm not... minstrel Al Jolson <laughs> needs to be in. Well, like who are the obvious like people I, that have been overlooked? I'm, I'm yeah, and I'm saying if if rock and roll is a bunch of white guys getting famous playing black music Clearly, Al Jolson is a forefather. We're trying to help. <laughs> Elijah, we're trying oh, to help. Okay, sorry, I didn't understand we're trying to help. Okay, if we're trying to help. Truly, Golden if we're Gate... trying to help, yes. Okay, Golden Gate Quartet. I mentioned Marion Williams already. Mm -hmm. Me, I'd like Dorothy Love Coates and the Gospel Harmonettes. I understand why she doesn't get in there instantly. Ella Fitzgerald for Rocket to Me. Which would be my nominee if we're going to play that stupid game of what's the first real rock and roll song. It's, uh, yeah, Joe, yeah. got no time for symphony. Yeah, rock it to, for me and Ella Fitzgerald. Why not Ella Fitzgerald? Which, you know, to me is a curious one, especially since we've seen... We've like, got Louis they, Armstrong. We've got Nat when King you put Cole. In, when the hall has put in jazz names traditionally they go for the bigger ones and ella's you know one of the biggest and mm -hmm. so that seems like right no so she, she would seem easy is johnny ray in the rock hall mm -mm. okay that's insane johnny ray is as i say the first guy ever to go number one pop and r&b and i think country um he is absolutely who inspires elvis he is who dylan describes as as the first guy he worshiped he did a record called cry that is unquestioned you know real serious first rock and roll record but it's 1950 it's a little early it's no secret you feel better he is a crazed, deaf, gay, white guy from Washington State whose thing was falling on his knees, rolling around on stage, bursting into tears and singing so much like a black guy that his first record sold R&B rather than pop. Wow. If you put on Cry, you will think it is a doo-wop record from 1954 or 55, but in fact, it's 1950. Johnny Ray, absolutely. Okay. Cool. I mean, I have a list. I don't want to like, you know, we're, we're wrapping up, so I don't want to yeah. like spawn a, a ton of conversation necessarily, but uh, if you want to give me a quick yes or no as I run sure. these down. Memphis Mini. Okay. Terrific, terrific artist. Mm-hmm. First wo woman, along with Sister Rosetta Tharp, to play electric guitar. She's a nominee of the white record collectors, but she's a damn good one. Big Bill Brunzi? Similar category. I mean, no, Big Bill was sort of the father of the Chicago scene. Uh, may, certainly makes more sense than Jelly Roll Morton. Sonny Boy Williamson? Which one? Either first or second. Again, I mean, you're naming placeholder names. Yeah, they deserve it as much as lots of – there are lots of early blues guys who did electric stuff and who I think deserve to be I think here. that's that's the point then, that there's just – there are so many names. I could run down a list, but it's – Or Wynoni Harris and Roy Brown in 
I they're on my the list, call. but I now don't want to say. <laughs> no, but but they are. All, yeah, no. I, I mean, they're the guys who who invented the term for our purposes, right? I mean, the Wynoni Harris, I would say in particular, it's crazy that Wynoni Harris. He's he's an even crazier omission than Johnny Ray. And there, I mean, there's also there's names that have been on the ballot that I don't. I think if they ever returned to a ballot, they would not do well. And I could see the hall putting them in the early influence category, like Johnny Ace, mm-hmm. Esther Phillips, Chuck Willis. Blink and these Ray. have all been on ballots, yeah. Yeah. Boy, Esther Phillips should just be in. I assume Laverne Baker and Ruth Brown by mm-hmm. now are in. Yeah, they got, they got in in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, but no, Little Esther... Little Esther should be in, absolutely. That, yeah, Big and Mama I, Thornton? Yeah, Big Mama Thornton should be in. She's never been on a ballot. I mean, she'd be a reasonable early influence category, whereas Little Esther is a little bit later and should simply mm-hmm. be in as a straight-up rock singer. Yeah, she was on the ballot twice in the early years and then just and never returned, which was too and bad. And now there's really not anybody left to in the room to, like— advocate for her and then she got on a ballot you know people yeah who vote now don't she doesn't have the name recognition to to break through sadly i mean there also are a bunch of white women pop singers who were certainly influences on white women singers who we think of as rock and roll who could be in there i mean joe stafford could easily be in here she was the the female lead singer for the tommy dorsey band mm-hmm. I mean, Tommy Dorsey could be in here for Boogie Woogie, which was which all the early rockabilly guys covered. There are lots of women we could be adding in here as early influences who were, you know, sort of hot pop rhythm singers Mm -hmm. and did plenty of blues. I mean, Dinah Shore for Blues in the Night. A worrisome thing who leave you to sing the blues in the night. Yeah, no, Dinah Shore would certainly, everybody at the Rock Hall will hold their nose and say, oh my God, no, she's a dreadful pop singer, while pretending that Frank Sinatra is hip. It's an interesting world. Yeah, it is an interesting world. Thank you for uh, jumping into this interesting world <laughs> with us. Uh, we... Uh, this particular category in this era of of music, I think Kristen and I are kind of out of our depth. So I thank you for providing the yes. uh, the info and the the historian perspective. I, that's much appreciated for this. Now our listeners have a context for this category. And honestly, it's not a terrible list. It's there are lots of people on this list who should be here. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, thank you for kicking off early in June, Linz. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I know it's just been a while since you I'm said gonna say, it. I'm going to say it so many times specifically oh, to me, no. Matt, and that's that's what all these months are going to be as we go from here to October. Can't you just say in June? Absolutely not. Mm-mm. No, under no under no circumstance because I need to make Kristen as annoyed as possible. And so the pun and month names are going to be sweaty and they are going to be not smooth and that's the way I have to do it to keep Honestly, Kristen Joe, I hope July in. 
Ooh. <laughs> but I don't think you are. Um, well done. <laughs> Elijah, thank you again so much for joining us. I want to give you an opportunity if there's anything you would like to plug, whether it is your music, your books, if you have a social media, whatever. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I have a website, ElijahWall.com. It has everything relative to me, but sure, I'll plug a book. Do it. My Definitive History of Popular Music Whoa. from 1890s up to 1970 with the title... How the Beatles destroyed rock and roll. Whoa, honestly, <laughs> Shots clickbait. Fired. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I love it. And, uh, you know, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock All Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockAllPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to read that, you need to designate that somewhere in the message. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Five stars only, though. Anything less would be a rude gesture. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to AKG for the microphone. Thank you to Future Rock Legends, the website, because for history uh, heavy episodes like this, they are really the main source. So we thank them and thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.